Shut up and sit down. everybody I got <clears throat> I was halfway through swallowing a piece of orange wow <clears throat> it was a very tart orange hope you guys had a great week I um did very little I've um had a little slump um but I do have some cool news I got invited to participate in the pleasure club at cobblestone um by the um by the author who created it and so um I'm going to do a Pleasure Club title, and those are short erotica, 5 to 10K, and um, I'm going to do one uh, about a fantasy merman. Um, And the Pleasure Club is basically, um, it's like an adult uh, fantasy sex club, and um, members, like, submit a fantasy, and another member um, strives to make that fantasy come true. Uh, and so, um, I'm trying to figure out how, um, a human guy can, um, give the illusion of, um, being a merman and seducing, um, his, um, his pleasure partner for the evening. So I'm working on that. And I have an idea, um, that I got actually from watching an episode of, uh, Ladylike on youtube i was watching ladylike and they had this episode where they no it wasn't ladylike it was as if or as slash is or something like that anyway there was an episode where they were trying to put on makeup underwater like ursula the little mermaid and they actually had a professional mermaid um chat with them and she was in the pool with uh obviously with a fake tail on and um it kind of got my brain think you know kind of rummaging through that um and so I'm thinking about that, and I'm, I'm going to write it this weekend because they want to publish it next month um, as part of uh, their Halloween thing. Um, so, um, but you know, you guys know I can write 5K in a day, so I could write and do three drafts in just two or three days. So it, it won't be a big deal, but it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to doing it because uh, we had talked about the pleasure club before and writing in a series that belongs to somebody else on the podcast. We talked about that because somebody had asked how that would work out. And so um, I'm going to have an experience to share with you at some point because <laughs> it's a gauntlet because you have to go through the, uh, the, um, the author who created it and then through the publisher. So, you know, it's an interesting, um, thing to do. Um, this is a writer's table because I couldn't think of any topics and I didn't feel like plotting a whole thing. Um, so I would really appreciate it if you guys would ask some questions. (laughs) I do. There is a question that is pending on my ask me anything page. Um, and it's about, um, uh, uh, um, um, sex, and so I'm gonna build up to that. Uh, <laughs> and so we'll come back to that later at some point. Uh, I'm, you know, um, 
I've been getting a lot of new readers recently, and I always know when I have a kind of an influx of new readers because I'll get a whole bunch of notifications saying, you have 50 new pages liked on your website. I'm like, what? And I'll go over there, and there'll be one person who's reading through my whole website and liking the pages as they go. And so it's like, okay, 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 okay. You know, all these pages are being like, I'm not complaining, but it's like it's always really interesting to see somebody um, kind of plow through um the uh, uh my content um because i am um i am at currently with the two shorts i just published i am at 0.7 million words so i am actually at 90 cent i am at 90 percent on my three million word goal so i have 10 percent left um and i will mean i will i will more than meet that when i um publish my quantum bang and um, when I finish Small Magic. So those two will probably push me over $3 million, um, between them. So that'll be cool. And also, of course, we're doing RT. You know, we're, we have November coming up. Um, Ellie has a question about formatting for online. Um, doing section breaks? You mean like scene breaks? Um, when I do scene break for, for um publishing on my WordPress. Um, and I used to do it on fanfiction.net as well. And it, it worked well on RaceBait too. I don't bother to center my scene break because a lot of times it will just end up confusing the posting software and it doesn't work right. It doesn't look right. Um, I would use a standard. I use, um, in fanfiction, I use uh, four dashes with a um, space between each dash. Um, in, in professional work, I use four or five stars, and that depends on the publisher. Um, right, and Julie has posted two examples of that in the chat room. Uh, and I just leave them uh, justified to the left with, with the rest of my content because that that way I don't have to worry about it. Because I've never had a left justified scene break fuck up. But when it comes to posting online, getting a center um, scene break can be difficult and frustrating, and especially if you have a whole big work of 50 or 60K. And I wouldn't want to go through them all individually and hand code a scene break on AO3. or So I just do them on the side. I'm just left justified with the rest of my content. And I do the four dashes um, on fan fiction with HTML because HTML can't fuck that up. I don't actually believe in all those little squiggly lines and symbols and S's and no. No, but I also really, and this is absolutely 100% true, Julie just said it in the chat room, that white space as a scene break is a sin. It, and this is why, because in some publishing houses, a white space, a single white line between two paragraphs in your, in your novel format is actually an indication of a POV break. Now, not this is an old school technique that, but that pro houses used to use. And you'll see it in some old, old works, like in the 80s and 90s. Um, wow. But in the 60s and 70s, like old fiction works, would do that extra space um, between, in a scene to break a POV. Now, I'm of the opinion, if you need to have a demarcation to demonstrate that you are um, changing your POV in a scene, you don't need to be changing your POV. If you aren't talented enough 
to do it without a physical notification to your to your reader that you're changing your POV, then you need to work on that shit. Talent's the wrong word. If you're not skilled enough, because I have met some super talented writers who have a really hard time transitioning between POVs. And this is a skill that you get through experience. Um, I, I honestly think that you should stick with dashes or stars. Anything else just looks um, immature. It looks shoddy. It, 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 it just, it looks... I, I, I don't want to be insulted. A lot of people do this, and it's just, it's, it's dumb, okay? It's, it's dumb gimmicky. That's a good term. Thank you, Jilly, for saving me from that awkward moment of insulting half the fandom. Um, it's just, I don't like it. Um, uh, and, it, you know, it isn't a pet peeve that will knock me completely out of a story. Um, recently came across a story in um, uh, Harry Potter fandom that they were using... Um, Instead of uh, when they were, when the kid when Harry was speaking speaking parcel tongue, instead of using quote marks, they would use a double S on the dialogue. Drove me nuts. Drove me a hundred percent nuts. And I'm like I, I can't, I can't, and so I had to close it. But it wasn't as bad as I, as a story I encountered where the author actually had a note, and I'm like, surely she did not actually do this through this whole book. So um, it was like 150K, right? So the author note said that she didn't like to put punctuation inside quotes, so she just doesn't do it. That's just her thing, and if if you're reading her stuff, you have to deal with it. I'm like, surely, surely she did not mean that. And so I scroll down and I start reading. She did. She 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 put her punctuation outside the quotes, and the only punctuation she used in dialogue um, was a comma. So her dialogue would be um, stop that in quote comma. Harry said. Period. <sighs> Close that. Yeah, I, 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 uh, and the thing is, is her idea was really great. And I was like, even her, beyond that, that was the only thing that would really stood out to me as a nightmare. And it was such a nightmare that I could not read her work. I was like, I can't, I'm done. To the point where I was tempted to copy and paste it into a Word document and correct it just so I could read it. I didn't, but I wanted to. drove me nuts um anyways the, the the scene format break i think that no matter what you do um whether you do stars or you do um dashes or you have something that you do yourself um be consistent no it wasn't that she was a european writer she was just arrogant it was arrogant it was some arrogant shit. I was like, I can't eat. I... Because she knew she was wrong. That's why she put it in the author note that she knew that it was something she was doing wrong. It was just what she preferred. 
anyways, I couldn't read her work. Um, but uh, but do please be consistent with your scene breaks, whatever you do use, um, because it can cause uh, when your reader is reading, um, a scene break should be acknowledged and ignored at the same time. It shouldn't stick out to them. It should be, okay, a scene is ending and a new one is beginning, moving on. But if they have to pause and look at it every time they see one, you got a problem. Because that's a, that becomes a pacing issue. When your scene break is so out of the ordinary that it draws the reader's eye away from your actual words repeatedly, you are destroying your pace. And you're knocking your reader out of your story continuously every single time you do a scene break now there are instances where there should be a yeah Julie just said in the chat room that punctuation would be outside of a quote mark but not in dialogue in a fiction setting um Sometimes in uh, technical writing, um, where you're not putting dialogue or when you're doing um, quotes from um, material in a, in a term paper, you know, technical or formal writing where you're not actually doing fiction with characters speaking to one another, there are instances where you would definitely put the, pe- put the, the period after the punctuation, I mean, after the quote, quotation mark, or the comma, or it would be like a dot, 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 um, but Especially in paper writing when you're quoting something, but you're only quoting like a certain part of it and you're going to like quote this and then you put it in quote and then you add on to the sentence for the rest of your sentence to make sense as part of your paragraph. That would be an instance where you would not put punctuation inside the quoted material unless the punctuation was already inside the quoted material. Because when you quote material, you should do it exactly. And if you don't, if you don't do it exactly, you should put the the at all in it to indicate that you have edited the quoted material that you're using. But that's an entirely um, different thing. <laughs> Traditionally speaking, when you're writing creatively and you're writing a story, your punctuation should most of the time be inside the quote when you're presenting dialogue to your reader. And it, when you don't, when you defy convention um, because you think you're being creative or, or whatever, all you're really doing is demonstrating a level of, of arrogance that's kind of appalling. Um, what you're saying is, is that um, you're, you're too special to follow the rules that everybody else is following. And quite frankly, if Stephen King could put his fucking um, punctuation in the proper place, you have no excuse. George R. R. Martin isn't running around putting his punctuation in stupid places. Nora Roberts doesn't do it. You don't get a pass. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Um... Uh. Julie, you have my next question, don't you? Where are you? Where are you? 
you have you you were keeping track of the question? Yes. Um Claire asked um if when it comes to editing, um it something I lost my window. Come back, come back. Um she asked, uh when it comes to editing, is there such a thing as too much? My quick answer is no, but that's not actually accurate. Um, I think that uh, there have been instances where I've had ed- um, editorial experiences where I felt like my material was edited to the point that my that my voice as an author was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there have been other times when the editing was so light, I actually worried. I was like, uh, are you sure you read my stuff? <laughs> There are only more corrections. Are you sure? Are you sure? I'm a pretty clean writer, right? But I expect to get a bloody manuscript. And when I don't, I'm like, dude, are you sure? (laughs) But there is a fine line that an editor takes. Now, if it comes to self-editing, that line is much thicker. Because you can self-edit yourself into a big, deep, abyssal hole. I mean, it just like, you know, you won't see daylight for the rest of your life kind of hole. That's the same thing you can do when you're researching. You can just kind of fall down a rabbit hole, and next thing you know, you're popping potions and seeing white rabbits and having tea with a psychotic. Um, so, you know, you got to be careful. I think that there has to be a point um, intellectually where you say, okay, this is done. And for a lot of writers, that's a stumbling block. I think it's especially true for pantsers. Um, when you go into a project and you're not, and your structure isn't as solid as, say, something that a plotter would develop, I think that you can um, know when you've met all your goals because you didn't have your goals to begin with. Now, some plotters or pantsers go into their project with a defined set of goals, and some don't. I mean, some start with a blank page and they don't even know what's going to happen or who's going to be in it or where it's going to go. And that's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not give ourselves an anxiety attack. I don't need any heart palpitations tonight. <laughs> and the other, uh, the, the, the other kind of pantser is the pantser who, who, who knows where they're going to end up. Um, they know what the, what their goals are and what their character motivations are, and but they haven't hammered out the details. I think Lady Holder is more that version of a pantser um, in, in that she knows where she's going. Sometimes she doesn't know how she's going to get there, but she knows what she, but her characters know what they want, and so does she. <laughs> <laughs> and usually that's Dick. I mean, um, yeah, 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 well, yeah. Dick. <laughs> Dick. My characters always want Dick. I mean, you know, always. I I do think you can over I do think you can over polish your work. Um, part of author voice is is in the is in the things that maybe aren't perfect. Um, part of author voice is you know maybe things that an online uh, there's um there are checkers that will look at it, look just analyze writing and say oh this is this is this grade level or that grade level and 
like sometimes you can score like really high on word choice. Um, like it says, okay, this person uses a lot of unique words, so that's a that's a high grade level rating. But then they'll score you way down because of overuse of adjectives, and so they'll be like, okay, second grade. This is a second grade writer or whatever. And if you were if you, so if you look at if you look at writing and you polish it through the lens of trying to make it perfect, it loses its flavor. It loses its flair. It loses its individuality because if everything was if, if creative writing was polished to perfection, it would all look the same. It would all feel the same. Um, so I do think you can, you can polish your own writing to the point that it's not recognizable as you. I would just say don't go too far with it. And also, at what point do you just stop seeing, I mean, you're so, if you're editing something to death, like you're on your 10th personal edit, it, I would start to wonder if you as the author are just never going to be happy with it. Um, are you seeing flaws where there maybe isn't a flaw? I know, I mean, I've heard of people who've been in edits for years because it's just not right yet. Well, what's not right? Are you not able to, I mean, if we're talking about not able to hammer out a plot hole, then you need to get out of that cycle and get some help. Um, if it's, you haven't found all your typos yet, well, I, I don't know that you're ever going to feel comfortable because no no story ever has been perfect. It, do, it doesn't exist. There are typos in the Bible. I mean, <laughs> there's lots of typos there. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of typos in the Bible. But I'm serious. There are typos in the Bible. So take that for what it is. Um, you're a human being, and, and you're and you're not capable of perfection. If you, you can get write very close. your restaurant, this is the this is what I think is reasonable. If you write your rough draft and then you do your first major edit, which is usually, depending on the type of writer you are, will either consistently be reducing words or consistently adding words. Because some people's rough draft is kind of choppy, and so they grow in their first edit to smooth things out and make it feel a little less stilted. And that's perfectly fine. So... Typically, editing takes words away. That's why it's, you know, called editing. Um, but you might be the kind of author who adds words in your edit. Don't worry about it. You do you. So do that. Get a really polished draft. Um, get it off. If you, if, if you have a beta or an editor or whatever, this would be to send them that, that you have done a good read-through. Set the story aside while it's in their hands. Give yourself some space from it. Put their changes in. If you give yourself a little bit of space, give yourself some time after you put their changes in, you only need to do one more edit. This is my opinion. Because if you've given yourself like a couple weeks where you go back and do that final read-through, it's not going to be so fresh in your brain, and you're going to spot your own typos. You're going to see your own problems because your brain isn't supplying the words that are supposed to be, unless you have an eidetic memory, in which case I have no idea what the editing cycle is like for someone with an eidetic memory. Um, but if you do that, that's two really good edits of you, for you and a beta edit, you're fine. And if you don't like working with a beta, do your first no. draft, run it through a grammar checker, give yourself uh, some space from the story for two to four weeks would be my recommendation, depending upon how long it takes you to kind of 
mentally move on and kind of forget some of those things and then come back and do a final edit and you're done and let it be done. I think that a lot of times when, when you encounter writers who have been editing the same book for years, um, it's no longer about the book. There comes a moment when you're writing original work and you've finished your novel and it's done and you've edited it all you can and the only choice you have left is whether or not you show it to somebody who can hurt you. And what I mean by that is you can show it to your writer friends all day long. But until you've had a professional editor or publisher tell you no, you have that dream of that novel being published and put on a bookshelf and put in a bookstore. It's a very tangible thing. So you have a choice when when you can't edit anymore, when there's no more editing to do, whether you stick this novel in a drawer or file it in a folder on a computer and start a new project, or you find some place to send it and you submit it and wait to be told if your word baby is worth publishing. That can be a very um, nerve-wracking and demoralizing process. Now, I've had very good luck as a writer. um, And since I write for market, I don't often get um, rejected because I give them exactly what they want. Um, sometimes I've come into a point where someone else gave them exactly what they wanted before I got there. <laughs> and I was told, you know what, we don't like this project because we already have one in the in the works that's very similar to this, but we love your writing, so can we have something else? Which is always which is always great to hear. Um, is we like you a lot. What else do you have? That's that's the best kind of rejection to get. Always like that. And I think that a lot of times when I encounter a writer who's been writing the same novel for 10 years or who's been editing the same book for five years um, after they wrote it for 10, is that they are absolutely not prepared to let their word baby go off and be judged. And that's no longer an issue of craft. It's an issue of um, self-esteem. And confidence uh, that no amount of editing will solve. You know, and it it also is being rejected doesn't mean that it, your your book could be right on brand for the place that you sent it to, and there could be a lot of factors going into it that has nothing to do with your story. Not every publishing house reads every story they get that gets submitted to them i mean you might get a rejection and they might have done nothing more than read your summary um some publishing houses do read other submit all their submissions but some get so many that that they're looking for things that are on target to what they want to publish what they think the market is looking for and they may just form reject a bunch of people who they haven't that they haven't even really looked into what they what was written, and there are some very successful authors um, out there who have published have posted about this about how many times they got rejected by a publisher that ultimately they wound up going with. And the thing is, the publisher never read their works. 
because they weren't submitting for what the publisher was looking for at that time, or there's another thing that it could be, and this can be a very difficult thing for a writer to overcome. A couple of things is you're, you don't know how to summarize your own story, and I know summaries suck, but if you don't write a, a, a captivating synopsis, you may not get past that with some publishers. Um, and also, if your there story is a difference is between starter. a summary and a synopsis. A summary is can be as short as two paragraphs. A synopsis can right. be as much as eighteen pages. Um, and a synopsis is a lot of uh, work. Um, and I avoid writing a synopsis like it might give me an STD that Ajax won't take off. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I honestly, I don't like writing. I don't. I don't like writing either. I wouldn't want to write either. Although it's easier to do for somebody else than it is to do for myself. Um, when I edit a book, the last thing I do is check their summary, their blurb for their book, which the, you know, the, blurb, the book blurb. And sometimes it's pretty close to fine, but it needs to be cut down. They almost always need to be edited down. Or sometimes I have to completely rewrite it. And sometimes I'm looking at that and I'm scratching my head and I'm going – if you were being, you know, if you were being, if they were sourcing this book based on the summary, there's no way you'd have gotten bought because that was just not good. Yeah. The book way better than that summary of the book. Their blurb was awful. <laughs> so, right, it's a lot yeah. easier. It's a lot easier to write a blurb for somebody else because by the time I'm done with a book, I've read it three times. Um, I'm like, I can summarize this. I can tell you what this book's. I can write a blurb for this. Uh, but like I said, sometimes the blurbs that, that the authors give me are really good. I'm like, well, but usually too long. But um, I'm like, you know, if you were being purchased on a blurb, I could see why an editor might not purchase on the blurb. I could see why an acquisitions editor might look at that blurb and go, I want to read more. And so One thing I will say. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'll say go ahead. Oh, well, one thing I will say is that um, I've had more than one buying editor tell me that the first five pages of your of your story or novel can make or break it. Yeah. There are stories, if your story um, starts really slow with a lot of exposition, the editor might lose interest after two pages. you got to grab them. didn't say no. Metaphor. Yeah, you got to grab them by the balls in the first page or two. Um, it doesn't... <laughs> The editor might be patient and find, oh, my God, this is riveting, and then, you know, flat out tell you, we're going to make you rework the front half of the front ten pages of this because we don't want readers, especially like if they're in a Kindle Unlimited program, closing your book and returning it because they couldn't get past the first ten pages. And I've read or too many fan fictions to see about people. Because Amazon only gives them three or four pages on the sample. Yeah, and your book doesn't get bought. Downloaded. Yeah. People, um, your first, your, your, I've seen people I know who are aspire to be original, write original fiction. Um, and the beginnings of their stories are so dull. And it's because they feel like they have to do all this setup and explain their whole concept. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's so dull. It's so dull, that front half of the story. Front, not half, front half, the, the, the opening. And 
editors aren't going to most most publishing houses aren't their editors their acquisition editors are not going to sit there and be bored for ten pages because and they know through your opening exposition. No, right. they have you have to be an in-house author, and then they'd probably give you a serious talking to about what the hell <laughs> is this opening? It was a great <laughs> book, but I was in a coma. I had to get a shot of espresso to get me over the first 10 pages. (laughs) But no, I mean, you know, I, uh, there's a, there's a reason why I always kind of hammer on that point that you need to start in the middle. Um, you start with a bang. Um, and, um, you want to drag your reader into your world. And then once they're in there and they're stuck, then you can tell them all the things they need to know. But if you don't drag them in, if, if you don't get them in, you know, in, then you've not done your job as a writer. I posted there something are on Facebook. Yes, twisted where the word baby is a terrible thing. Um, those books usually end up self-published. I'll say self-publishing. Well, there are some talented writers who gave up on getting published through a conventional publisher who went to self-publishing. Well, I could see why if, if either you were a really clean writer or a really popular writer who could afford to pay an editor up front, you might go the self-publishing route. But in general, you're going to have a better product if you go through a publisher. Um, but So people just give up and they self-pub. And, and their thing is, their product is their, their story. The reasons it was rejected for a publishing house are still there. It's just they didn't want to address their shit. And, I mean, if you're not at the point where you can address the problems in your story, you're not ready to let it go. You're not ready to try to. But editing it, keep it, continuing to edit it yourself is not the solution. You know, it's funny. I, um, I posted something on Facebook recently where I just – I subscribe to a lot of Fic Finder groups on DreamWith or, or LiveJournal, and I get notifications of people looking for stories. And it's both so that I can – people help me find stories over the years that I really wanted to reread, and also so that I can help other people. And also so I can – when I hear an interesting concept of a story I might not have read, I can get basically wrecks for stories. Because usually these are usually these are stories that are – a lot of times it's on some archive I've never heard of, never followed. I should have never seen this story. Anyway, I get so many emails – that start that just have the subject line looking for a fic, looking for a mixup, looking for a tibs. And it's like, really, that's what you're looking for. That's most of the stories. And I don't even click on them because gone. And that's just that's I mean that's that's a totally minimal thing. But I mean the thing is one of the things we learn in social media is that if you don't get attention in the right way, nobody notices it. Nobody pays attention to it. And we are Everybody has a very short attention span these days. Um, I'm not saying publishers have a short attention span, but the what you submit to a publisher and what you present to them is your story concept, um, your blurb, your summary, your synopsis, whichever, whatever it is that they require from you, that has got to be riveting. It just can't be, you know, male, male, star-crossed lovers, you know, eventually get together 35K later. It's like, yawn. I've seen that. I've I've seen that seen that a billion times now. Why would I want that? You know, it's sort of like you're shopping for a dress, and somebody says it's a it's a it's a black cocktail dress. 
well, that's not interesting. <laughs> Everybody has a black cocktail dress. But in this post, I, what I said my example was that, you know, it's like even if I don't know it, if somebody puts in their title looking for a story where John and Rodney turn into leviathans and run around the universe eating race, I don't know that story, but I would go out and fo- at least follow that thread to see if somebody else could find that. And I would Google the shit out of that. I'd try to find it for you just so I could read it. And people, a couple people responded and said, um, is this a real story? Where can I find this story? I was like, no, I'm just making shit up. <laughs> because when you say something that is captivating, if you give a captivating summary, a captivating, some, some kind of catchy thing that really grabs attention, um, and that's where you get the thing of like, even if it's not on brand for what a publisher is doing right now, they might turn around and do what they do with Kira and said, this is not where we're going right now. We've already got this thing, but we would really like something else from you. And then you get like validation and a huge opportunity, like all wrapped up into one. And I know that's a tough skill to learn to market yourself and to learn how to market your work, but you got to do it. got to do it. One of those things more difficult, do. I think, as a woman, um, because yeah. we're often taught um, to not make waves, to not brag. Um, yeah. To that promoting yourself is arrogant. Ambition is uh, unattractive. Whereas it's not unattractive in men, it's just unattractive in women. There's a, um, I'm writing a story um, called A Child of Magic, and it's available, there's a part of it available on EAD. Um, And there's a scene where the kids in Harry's conclave, and Hermione and um, Daphne Greengrass have uh, gone with the boys to look for a uh, adder stone for their for, for, for their conclave. And um, one of the boys makes a comment about how it's really lucky that Hermione is so pretty because she's so bossy. And um, Harry calls him out on it. And Daphne said that it's kind of obscene that Draco gets praised for the same exact qualities that Hermione has while she gets degraded. Draco is a little know-it-all, too. He's brash. He's um, ambitious, and that's perfectly okay for Draco. He's a little prince. But Hermione is a know-it-all who's only tolerated because she's cute. And so, you know, it's a little moment of uh, (laughs) a little teaching moment. I stick into my work sometimes because it, it it does drive me nuts. It it, it really does. Um, that Hermione's characteristics, which you can find in other characters all through um, Harry Potter, hers are considered um, something to be tolerated, while the same characteristics in other characters are to be celebrated because they got a dick. Yeah. I actually find that kind of if it's truly like an like an intrusive know it all behavior, I don't care if it's got a dick or a vagina, I find it irritating. Um 
And I found I, in the in the books, I actually found it. I found because Draco's was almost more irritating because it came with such an air of entitlement and and self superiority to it that yeah. it was more irritating. Um, but I didn't want. I just didn't want. I mean, I I've been around people who. You know, we've all had that person in their life who felt like they needed to constantly correct, even when it wasn't important. Um, it's not like that person who thinks that they, you know, uh, have a that they should be able to be honest and tell the truth anytime they want, even if it's not asked for. So it's just I find if if, if somebody is knows it all, I don't have a problem with that. If someone is constantly shoving it in my face that they know it all. I have a problem with that, especially if it's not germane to any kind of thing that's going on. It's like, I don't care that you already know. Shut up. That's the foundation of mansplaining right there. Yeah, it is. And here's the thing. Also, I have to say, this is just just a PSA. If you are going to brag to death about something, you've got to have the goods to back it up. You know, don't, (laughs) don't. You know, like go on and on and on about how great something is, and then when it when it, when it's time to put up or shut up, there's nothing there. So I'm not. I don't think ladies should have the. I don't. I don't buy that false modesty thing. If you're good at something, just say you're good at it. But if there's one thing, the difference between saying you're good at something and just shoving it in people's faces that you're good at it, and then if anybody, if and when it's finally time to to see the goods, as it were. Um, there's not there's it's it's all fluff and no substance. I just I'm developing a major pet peeve around this. So whatever <laughs> it is, any station in life, if you are going to brag about it, you better damn well have the goods to back it up. That's all I got to say. I don't care what your equipment is downstairs. And dude, that honestly really includes your dick. Don't yes. don't be telling me you got eight inches and you barely got five. I. I'm like measured from where you're at. And don't and, and 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 don't be rounding up, okay? <laughs> you you need to round, round like down a quarter of an inch. You can round up a quarter <laughs> of an inch. That's all you get. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. But yeah, it is especially includes the dick. Yeah. Um. I need to have my expectations under control. <laughs> So you don't get your feelings hurt. <laughs> anyway, next question. <laughs> the next question, um, it's the last one I think I've seen so far, is from Twisted Something. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to try to figure out what that last thing meant. Twisted. So Twisted says, You've spoken quite a bit about ABO and consent issues. Um, they agree 100%. Is there another trope that you do not like? Assuming, I mean, they didn't say this, but I'm just going to say, of course, you know, Makira, it's um, obviously taking anything that has consent issues any of those tropes, genres off the table. So that would be like underage, fetishized rape, slavery. So assuming anything where consent is an issue is classified under the tropes and genres and categories she doesn't like, then the question, are there other tropes you don't like, Kara? Harem fix. Mm. I, I hate yeah. harem fix. I hate them. 
I mean, even when they're all consensual and shit, I hate it. There is nothing more irritating to me than opening up a Harry Potter fic and having Harry slash multi. Fuck you. (laughs) I hate it. The last time we talked about harem fic, somebody wrote me and said, well, they tried to give me a scenario of a harem fic that might be appealing. I'm like, well, then what you just described is not a harem fic, which is where it's everybody's in duos and trios, but they all, like, live in some kind of poly community where they sleep together, you know. I'm like, that's that's like a poly community where people kind of have flexible, where they have, Swinging. you know, where they have, negoti- where they have negotiated non-monogamy. Um, and that is not the same thing as a harem fic. A harem fic is where there's one character at the center of a bunch of relationships. And that's, I find it really offensive too. He may need all the things, they, they, all that. They really piss me off. I um, I don't understand. Uh, Harry does need all the things, but Harry does not need all the pussy. Harry should be or satisfied with one or one of each. And the fandom is not discriminating about. I, I can't even deal with two. No, I'm fine with two dicks or two pussies. That's fine with me. Because um, I'm yeah, fine with three. Yeah. But, but I, I don't. I don't care if he's at the center of. A, this is not a many women or many women. It's not a many women thing. I, I don't want to see him at this because there are there harem fix out there where it's a bunch of men where it's like every man in canon practically. No. No. I saw a harem fic where he had Narcissa and Molly Weasley in it. That's a hundred thousand percent no. <laughs> it really messes me up. Although I did read a threesome fic. It's uh, Lunar Harmony, which is Harry, Luna, and Hermione um, called Fairy Heroes. And uh, I liked it. Agree with um? I just don't. I just don't agree with harem fix, Jeep, at all. I can't. I, I I can't go there. I don't care if Harry has ten titles, which is ridiculous, by the way. Um, he doesn't get ten spouses. <laughs> no. Honestly, when a noble has that many titles, most of the titles are saved for his children. The senior title goes to him, and then his oldest son gets the next senior title down the line. Those titles aren't for him. They're they're tertiary and they should go to the children. He shouldn't have attached wives to each one. It, it it's just really dumb. And the the only other thing that I it, it is a consent issue for me. Um for the most part um marriage law fix marriage law fix pissed me off too and uh, and that's a consent issue. Arrived there with love potions and um, ABO. Um, I think you can write ABO without consent issues, um, but I think it's uh, difficult if you adhere to too much fanon. Even though the ABO concept itself is fanon, um, if you if you take too much of the ABO elements that are very popular in ABO fix, um, like mindless heat. Um, where the Omega has the inability to say no after a certain point because they're they're incoherent. Um, I think that Pond Far can also have that um, that connotation. 
Like there's a point where the um, the Vulcan partner is beyond consent, the aggressor, which can be very difficult. Um, which is why when I write it for Tangled Destinies, it will be more of an emotional um, experience than a sexual experience because I can't write Spock losing his mind that way. Um, I, I I find it offensive. I agree. Uh, I, I read something the other day where they said they were trying to correct the consent issues in ABO. And I was, I got so angry when I got to the point of the fix that I had a really hard time not finding the author because they shifted the consent issue to the alpha where the alpha ah, like was so mindless. Like they, weren't, they weren't violent or aggressive, but their rut was so mindless that they couldn't consent anymore. But because they were the ones doing the penetrating, I guess that didn't matter to this person. I was so furious that I, cause I typically don't read a lot of ABO fix. I have to, it has to be written by somebody I know has a good graphic of how to write um, ABO without consent issues, um, and the, the fact that they said that they, you know, they had a real problem, and they put a big spiel about how they had a problem with how they um, had a problem with the consent issues in, in ABO fix, and they were trying to turn that around, and that this is their solution to that. And they basically just turned it, turned it the other way, to where the alpha is incapable of giving or withdrawing consent once their rut starts. And I was like. Uh, I'm so annoyed. I, I, I was so pissed. I was really pissed because I felt like I'd been lured into reading something. It felt like a bait and switch, but I'm I'm pretty sure the author thought they were actually fixing the thing. But what that shows is like a really ugly lack of understanding. That it doesn't matter whether you're penetrating or being penetrated. Consent applies. Um, you can't drug somebody and sit on their dick and call it acceptable. Call it. It's not okay. That's that's still rape. So, um, white love potions are rape. Yeah, it does. It doesn't matter if it doesn't matter who's 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 doing the penetrating. Um, if if people can't give informed, aware consent, it, it's got a consent issue. So the fair fix just shifted the consent problem. Just it it so enraged me. I could barely deal with it. It was one of those nights where I was like, man, I'm just having bad luck after bad luck after bad luck with with thick right now. Um, it's just, oh. Yeah, I raged quit a lot the other day, yesterday, day before yesterday, all, all the days of this week. I've been rage quitting um, fix left and right because of um, just various issues. It didn't actually move the consent issue off screen. It was on screen. Um, wow. Wow. So. Um, but then, you know, like I had that encounter with that lady in the Farm Bunnies um, Facebook group where um, she posted a, uh, a a fanfic bunny for somebody to write. And um, the bunny was is that uh, Darcy uses magic to sleep with Thor, um, even though he's with uh, um, Jane. And so I commented on it and I said, um, you should put a rape warning at the top of this. Um, and she said, it's not rape. I said, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> well, I have encountered, a, a, and, and honestly, ladies, this really makes me angry. I have encountered a lot of startling ignorance from women, especially in fandom, although I'm sure it extends beyond fandom, about men and rape. Um, and that they think men can't be victims of rape. Uh, and that's just, 
that is a is appalling ignorance. And we have we have so many problems in in with rape culture in this country that we cannot afford ladies to be part of the problem. No, we, we no, got a, we got an no. uphill battle. We got an up, uphill battle as it is on that front. We don't need to be contributing to the problem by saying stupid shit like men can't be raped. It is very stupid, and I, I was appalled. And she deleted it after that because I was like, no, 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 no. Um, this needs a rape warning. Um, I screenshotted it, it for the um, admin of that group to let them, because I was kind of um, backseat modding because I'm not a moderator on that group, but I am bossy. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, I'm waiting in because the, the admin's not around. <laughs> and I did. And, um, and uh, I, uh, and, um, no, I'm not, no, I'm not a, I, I'm a member of Farm Bunnies, but I'm not an admin of Farm Bunnies. No, that's, um, um, Marley's, uh, fanfic, fan art, that's her group. Um, but, uh, I have a backseat mod, so if I see something happening and <laughs> there's nobody around, I'm going to dig in like I own it. <laughs> Should you be doing that, really? I mean, this isn't, this isn't like it's part of the group. The group's, you know, vibe, charter, rules, you know. Here you go. You're really a, you're really offending me right now. <laughs> you're well, offending you, the shit also, out of me. You've had people give you ideas for stories that suggest sequel to your stories that included big consent issues in them, especially in the Harry Potter fandom, yes. like stuff like, you know, yes. that Harry's conceived under a love potion or whatever. Um and why? Yes. Oh, and the thing yeah. what's, what's astonishing to me is that with someone who is is as vocal as you are about not reading things with consent issues in them, why people would suggest stories that have that kind of element to you for you to write, not even read, but for you to write, which is like a step further of awful, except that they don't see the consent issue. Um, and that is where I think that this is where your reading choices in your you to um, really awful things. Be careful what you read sometimes. I think a lot of people don't read... even see the issues, or they assume consent issues in BDSM and think since I write BDSM that I'd be perfectly willing to write um, that other kind of shit. Uh, and no. No. Uh, a, a thousand percent no, and so yeah, that you know that that happens. Um, and I got a uh, somebody threw a bunny at me recently, and I'm like, nope. I I, I didn't even respond. I was like, no. <laughs> I'm not even gonna respond. And what's worse is they did it on fanfiction.net, um, which I have an account for because I read, and I, sometimes I you know, I I like the pit. Okay, sometimes I like the pit more than Ao3. Especially for Harry Potter fic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, yeah. Anyway. Harry Potter is um, scary, often very scary on, on AO3. AO3. Yeah, yeah. Um, the abyss can lead you very wrong, very, very wrong, down, down a terrible path um, when it comes Lord to Harry Potter. And, and, but, and sometimes very popular stories on AO3 are like, Wow, that is the story in this fandom that has got the most kudos. Really, that thing, or it, even if it's not the That's most popular, a it's, like, it's on the it's on the 
it's on the front page, right? So the front page, top 20 stories by kudos or bookmarks of a story. It's like, really, that? That? That right. thing with the tentacles? Right. That slavery, thing with the tentacles? Right. Is, right. Yeah. Leave slavery. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Bye. <laughs> anyway, I don't actually post on fanfiction.net, but I did it one time. But honestly, I'm too dirty for fanfiction.net. You might have noticed. Anyways. Um, yeah. What you doing for this show? And, uh, why you can't get advertisers? Huh? You're too dirty for blog talk. That's why you can't have advertisers. I do have advertisers. I don't know who they are. You can't be on the front page. The front page. You can't be on the front page. Right. I can't be on the front page. I can't be on the front page of blog talk because I'm too dirty. That's okay, though. Um, I don't care. Um, I honestly don't want that kind of audience anyway. (laughs) But anyways, um, I got this thing through fanfiction.net and I'm like I, I looked at it and then I like delete and moved on and then I went over to the Facebook group the Harmony Facebook group I recently joined and all we did was that same bunny wasn't there so they sought me out purposefully on a platform I don't actually post to to send me this plot bunny I'm like, well, why didn't they just use my comment form? That would be, oh, because at the top of my comment form, it actually says not to send me shit like this. I don't want anybody else's plot ideas. I've got plenty of my own. I've got over 100 works in progress. I don't need your help. (laughs) But even if somebody, you know, this is just over uh, a PSA. (laughs) And, um, Anything, 200 is over 100, 250 plus is over 100. They're all over 100. We we need to have a talk about greater and less than. <laughs> um, but another, here's another PSA. It, if it's not, there are Facebook groups, there are LJs, there are Tumblrs where people put up prompts. And I'll be, I'll be straight um, with readers who want to write prompts. The more specifics you give, in my opinion, the less likely you are to get somebody to write your prompt. I don't mean not be specific, but I mean if you start getting down to the NatSAS details about how things need to be executed or these are the elements that need to be included, writers aren't interested in writing like that. Not, not any of the ones I know. Um, I mean, you have to have a writer who couldn't plot, who could come up with a story on their own, who would want to take that on, and they'd have to, I don't know, I, I just don't see it. So, um if you know, if, if if there's like an open call for prompts or something like that, something that's really interesting and exciting, but gives the author room to interpret, is your best bet for getting your idea picked up and written. Because nobody, nobody wants to be told do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. I wouldn't even start. Now there are some authors I've seen who pick up prompts that are super specific and then they will put a note when they finally post it about all the things they disregarded. Uh, I that's a little shady. <laughs> I mean, if the rules are to write the prompt, just disregarding a bunch of the prompt because, I mean, I think the prompt is too specific, but I would have never picked it up in that case. So, um, For the record, yeah, I have are, a hundred 29 works in progress and my total word count for works in progress is 2.1 million give or take 50 or so words and I have 2.7 million (laughs) posted so I have a little less unposted than I do posted 
not counting EAD or what I have on the wild hair. I have more unposted than I have posted. I um, bet you do. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm I'm terrible like that. I have a lot of that's not posted. Um, I don't think I've quite hit the million word mark, but it's close on the posted stuff. But Speaking I just, of yeah, posted I, I, and beta, I have now posted three projects that are novella length that I have not had betaed. Go you. Two. Lady Holder kind of braided me into letting her beta flight. Because I was going to let it go just the way it was. But I appreciate her beta. I really do. Um, but I posted the subtle body and gravity without beta. Does it feel liberating? Yeah, it did actually. Because beta, as much as I value it, and I do, I value all the time and effort that goes into the beta process that my betas do. And But God damn, sometimes I'm just like, you know what? Do I really want to beta 150K? No, I don't. <laughs> I think I actually stopped working on my damn quantum bang just at the idea of how much beta I had ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes when it comes to the longer works, I feel like I write write it and then I read it and edit it. And in some cases it gets edited. Some stories get edited multiple times before it goes to beta. Not because that's my usual process or the longer story, it's not uncommon for me to take a break from it. And then when I come back to it, if I'm going to reread it, I'm going to fix anything I see wrong. So sometimes, especially like, let's say I've got 150K. The first 100K or so might have been through two or three edits before it gets to a beta. And then it's just like uh, going through that whole process. Already. Just, yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah. I don't, currently, keep, I don't want to keep doing it. I'm currently at 97K on my um, uh, my Big Bang and uh, my quantum bang, and um, I think I've got about three chapters left. Um, so I'm probably going to top out around 21 chapters plus the prologue. Um, and so I'm thinking probably 130K, um, which is about mm-hmm. 80K more than the challenge required. Um, but I had a big thing to fix. Yeah, you did. You did a big fix. And I fixed the stuff I didn't even know I need to fix. <laughs> I had a list of things I needed to fix, right? And then I get to writing, and I fixed some things I didn't even see coming. <laughs> you fixed all the things. Yeah, it, it's a, I it's a fix good. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of little fixes and big fixes, and it's, yeah, it's really epic. We have had a lot of people cross the 50K, 50K mark. Um, I think we have... At least one person that's done with their rough draft, done. maybe two. Yeah, and then we have um, one person who's done with their rough draft and started their second project. Because you're allowed two projects. <laughs> Whoa, um, dude! I think honestly, I could have split my work into three books, but I didn't. So I only have one project. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I am working on something else right now. I think I'm being me cry. I'm really behind. I haven't been on Facebook much the last, actually, two weeks now. Um, 
just really spotty on Facebook. Uh, so I, I, I have a bunch of messages. I know they're sitting there. I haven't read them all. Um, there are a couple people that asked me about how it's going with my story. Am I doing all right in the QB? Because I haven't been on the site much, although I have been processing signups. We're like, we're getting close to the 90 some odd writer mark. We're over 90 participants already, but we're getting close to 90 writers, I think. Um, the last time I looked, it was 97 something, uh, 92 total, 81 authors. 21 artists and 17, 17 alpha betas. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we had a bunch of, and people are putting up, you know, people are just volunteering. People who've never, who have like experience with writing, but they've never alpha or beta before volunteering to give it a shot. So, um, you know, if you're a QB writer and you want an alpha beta, you've never had one before, you can give it a try. If it becomes a traumatic process for you, please get in touch. We will help you extricate yourself <laughs> because we don't want you to lose any momentum or joy in writing because you tried the beta process. Okay. So just, um, I think most people seem like they're really want to just be helpful. Um, but everybody's learning here. So anyway, um, I, as we, you guys should know, I don't really write high angst stories, but I do hit, hit, have moments of angst in most of my works. Um, and all of my story ideas, I was working on three, it, almost all at the same time. I depending on which one I was in the mood for that day. I said I was going to get it from work on. And they were all at angsty points, very angsty in a couple of cases. And I just got some shit going on. I didn't want to write angst. I didn't want to deal with it. So I started working on something else. Um, that I had in process and that I want to finish. So I, I'm trying to finish something rather than just keep jumping from project to project. So I'm trying to finish the short story I'm working on now um, and get it edited and then posted. And then I'll get back to working on my quantum bang because I, I think I'm a little better about the angst front, but I just like, I wrote Kira one day. She said, how's it going? I said, I just wasn't in the mood to write this. And I told her what I wasn't in the mood to write. She said, yeah, I can tell you about not being in the mood to write that subject matter. Um, yeah, sometimes well, I just, hit just a, not there. a um, I had a thing in my plot document, and it hit on nine eleven, and I couldn't write it. I, I, I was like, no, <laughs> I, can't, I can't write that right now. I have to walk away <laughs> because I didn't even see it coming. Um, obviously, I didn't plan for it to that plot point to hit on that day, um, and. There's a psychological, uh, there's a deep psychological trigger for a lot of Americans when it comes to 9/11, and I and I hit it, and I was and I there's a bombing in my story, tack on, and and, and there, there's a bombing, and I was like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, so I had to walk away from that for a minute, and um, so I read some Harry Potter fic all week. <laughs> And then I wrote some, and I and I I I wrote it out. Like I I got past it. Um, I was like the fifteenth or the sixteenth, and so uh, you know I'm there. But uh, yeah, sometimes you don't know, you know, how something's gonna hit you. Yeah, you really don't, especially with, especially if you're you you didn't plan for it. 
like, I mean, I knew that all the stuff that I was writing about was going to be in the story. I just couldn't have predicted my state of mind um, when I got there. And you, you, I think, imagine you knew this was coming in your story, but you looked at the calendar and you went, oh, wait, no. Um, I mean, the always... thing is, is it's, it's, it was written out as one plot point. I mean, it was literally like two sentences long in my 18-page document. It happens off screen, and only the um, aftermath is explored by my characters, who are never also on the scene. And so it's like a conversation that happened, and I was I stalled. I I, I didn't see it coming. I just I, I didn't, yeah, didn't see it coming at all. Yeah, it can be kind of. It can be, and I agree. Lady Holder said it's a scar. Um, that I think most Americans have. We have like a, a twitch, um, a, 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 an instinctive knee-jerk reaction about things related to 9-11. And, um, that, that's the reason why we didn't get a second True Lies? Really? There was going to be a sequel to True Lies, and um, it was they had scheduled to start filming, um, then 9-11 happened, and um, both uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Schwarzenegger both said no. I, we we can't make a comedy about terrorism. Not right now. Yeah, we need some space from that. And Jamie Lee Curtis said never that she would never participate. She's done. Well, I mean, and, I think you know, a movie. I there were some movies that when they got released to DVD that were made. I, not some. I, more than one movie has have. Um, CGI'd out the towers and subsequent releases of their movies to just kind of not give people that visual thing because it is a punch in it's like a punch in the chest when you see an older movie that has a, a shot of the Twin Towers it's like whoa wait a minute I I, yeah. need, I, I need a moment I have, to, I have to pause I need a moment but I think that I remember reading there was a movie that was coming out right around then that had been filmed in New York and that they went in before the DVD release and CGI'd out the towers um, or something like that. It was, and I can understand why they would do that because it really, at the time, that was way too fresh. I mean, I, you just couldn't see the New York skyline before and not have that come up. Um, I had told, I, I actually kind of like reversed on an opi- opinion on a subject for years. I mean, I stopped writing around 9-11. I mean, that shut me down creatively for a couple of years, I think. And, um, I had um, I said I would never talk about 9/11 in fiction, um, and um, and then I did a reversal on that by including some elements of stuff around 9/11 and the and the events of 9/11 in in the four U verse. Um, but I I mean I I was I was I fought with myself about that for a long time. If I was going to do that, but the events of 9/11 occurring are canon in the I mean. Obviously, they're canon in world history, but NCIS acknowledges that, that, that they exist, that it occurred. So they talk about 9-11, post-9-11. I mean, it's built, it, it's baked into the canon of NCIS that 9-11 was an event that occurred. It's not like they disregarded it. Right. Um, so because of when my story was set, I felt like it would have been, I, I don't know, I kind of had this as a disingenuous to pretend like to, to not have 9-11 occur what do I do with that? How does it change things? Um, anyway, so 
um, I decided to go ahead and include it and, 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 and write some stuff with it at the end of that episode. And I, like I said, I was on the fence about it, about it doing that, but I did warn in the warnings very strongly that there's some stuff about 9-11 at the end of this episode. You know, if you're sensitive about that, you might want to be careful about your own emotional health. And I've got a surprising number of people commenting or, or writing me personally about their experiences with 9-11. Um, well, I not think in you handled way. it really well. I think you handled yeah. it really well. I also think that um, removing it uh, or ignoring it happening in that time frame, when you, if, if you're if, if you're riding in that time frame, is actually it borders on disrespectful. Um, yeah. It would be like writing about World War II and not mentioning Pearl Harbor. Even the senator, he 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 would have been inundated with Tony's in law enforcement and granted not in New York, but they, they're in DC and somewhat removed, but it, it still would have consumed their lives um, for quite a while. So I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could just edit it out, which is why I decided to just go ahead and deal with it. Um, but it was, it was a difficult decision for me because I had, you know, the first time, I mean, it was it was within a year of 9-11. I saw people using the events of 9-11 like their character was at ground zero of 9-11. I couldn't read it. I actually felt like it was really disrespectful. <laughs> that was my feeling then. That was my feeling, you know, 18 years, I mean, 17 years ago, was that that was really, God, has it been 17 years? I just, I did that math in my head, and I went, has it been that long? Wow, yeah. it has been. Wow. Okay. So I said, but you know, back then when it was fresh, when this was new, when it was a thing that nobody had healed from, I hadn't healed from, that people were using it as a plot device for their character to be at ground zero and all that kind of stuff. I was just kind of, I, I felt like I'm a, this is too soon. You went there too soon. <laughs> that was my reaction. I but there are instances that. where you would absolutely have no choice. Like all those shows set in New York had to address it. Um, CSI yeah, New York, um, uh, Law and Order, uh, what was it? Uh, Third Watch did an episode. I to ignore it would have been obscene in those right. circumstances. I just, and if you're I writing agree. a firefighter TV, living in New York during that time frame, and you don't mention nine eleven, that was weird. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It would be difficult. It would be really difficult. So, but for I just I felt like taking characters who were not based in a New York based show, like pulling Las Vegas characters to New York and writing them at Ground Zero, which is specifically the example coming to mind. Um, I was like, okay, you went there; it's too soon. And some people really responded positively to it. For them, it was cathartic. For me, it was like I I, I mean I, I was like you know crossing myself and making the sign of making an evil eye kind of thing. I was just really flummoxed by it. But people have different reactions to that thing. So I didn't know if people would react to me posting that. But I never had, I never got a negative or unsupportive comment um, or email. Everybody was, people were very positive, but they, there was a lot of like really sharing what their experience of the day was like. And uh, somebody had written me who had lost somebody um, in the World Trade Center. Um, and that she was glad I had warned because, you know, it was really difficult, and she was in tears by the end, and it was just us. So it wound up being a bigger thing than I thought it would be just because of people's reactions to it. But the reactions were all very supportive and very um, 
Like I, but I, like I need to share this kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, anyway. So anyway, anyway, the reason I mentioned that is because there was somebody mentioned something that the Six Finder on, on the NCI Six Finder group. Um, somebody was recently asking if there were any stories where Tony was at Ground Zero, um, and somebody mentioned for you um, that he's there at the end. I don't know. I still don't know what my feeling about that is. <laughs> it's a little bit like I I had some kind of reaction, but like I couldn't quite parse it out. I still can't. I was just kind of like, uh, do I want to be on this or no? I uh, don't. Do I want them to go there? <laughs> I don't know. How I feel it was just so weird. It's like, sometimes we have these. I'm glad you read my stuff, but I wish you hadn't mentioned that part. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I I I can understand why somebody would go, and I don't I don't think anybody thought of anything else. Um, so there may not be other stories where he's at Ground Zero, and he's not really at Ground Zero. He just goes to New York immediately after. But I um I don't want that to be what the story's known for. I guess right. I don't want that to right. be the hook, you know. So that I guess that that was kind of my reaction, but. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> it was a moment. I wouldn't either. I. But then I also don't want my fic to be known just for. You see, it's it's about sensual That's not coming out. Sensationalization or something like that. Sensationalizing. My mom. What are you trying to say? Yes. That. Sensationalization. Well, okay. but, I spelled it, but I spelled it wrong. <laughs> but it's about, I don't want my work to be known for being salacious, you know, or uh, uh, there's a certain controversy attached to the BDSM AU um, in Stargate um, um, because of Xanth or Xanthi um, and her basically being driven out of Stargate because of that. Um but to have your work known for a specific thing, like, um, oh, go read this, the sex is great. Fuck you. <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> That's what well, I remember about my work? Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I read, somebody wrecked me. I got a ping back on my site. Um, when I, and I usually delete ping backs. I don't usually prove them and then somebody said why do you delete pingbacks actually most of my pages are set up not to not to allow pingbacks I mean you can you can share pages if you want but you know, I, I don't I like have, pingbacks I my, either I do my links so that the pingbacks usually don't happen so usually if I get a pingback it's because I <laughs> didn't do my links right because uh, if you do relative links you won't get pingbacks um, but so you can I also turn and, off pingbacks on WordPress yes you see that on each, do you see that? Can you do that as a global setting, or is that on each post? Global. Oh, so I, I haven't turned off on everything. On each post. I thought you did on each post. Yeah, I've been doing all this extra effort with these relative relative links rather than. Uh, anyway, um, I'll find it. So, so I got a um, I had a pingback, and and it was to a reckless, and and um, I get pingbacks on reckless periodically, and I decided. to to um, check it out 
and the wreck list, the, the, my works were, that were wrecked, it was wrecked in a section about stories with great bashing, character bashing. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly my whole internal tone. <laughs> it was like, that is not, I mean, I get that people are like, they, they'll go out and they're looking for a very specific thing. Like they say, I want to see, read stories that have really good diva bashing or whatever. And, and I get that sometimes, you know, you're, 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 you're picking a story that, based upon an element. You're going after one specific tag or trope. And you get a variety of stories when you're focused that way. I don't know. It just it just kind of threw me that somebody wrecked my work, my body of work, based upon great character bashing. Because that's not what I want to be known for. And I don't. I mean, you know, I I write a ton honesty, of character bashing. Someone was on a Harry Potter group and they said, "Hey, dudes, I want to read a whole bunch of fic about Ron bashing." I would be perfectly comfortable with them putting my link up because I am a professional at Ron bashing. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I'm a professional it. Weasley basher. <laughs> I am proud of my Weasley bashing. <laughs> like, hell yeah, I am. I got a fucking PhD in that shit. <laughs> okay, for those of you who are on WordPress who don't want to allow pingbacks, um, if you go to your settings and click on discussion, the ve- the second option you can check is allow ni- link notifications from other blogs pingbacks and trackbacks on new articles. If you uncheck that, your WordPress won't harvest pingbacks. So you won't nice. have to worry about them doing it individually. Yeah. And I don't know about I mean, pingbacks on Rough Trade or Wild Hair, for that matter. People, and it doesn't stop people that. from linking, putting a right. link up to your site. It but just means you, won't you get don't get a pingback, a comment back on the post that says that there's a link to this post, which is it, it's part of a social, it's a networking thing, but it can also be a security issue, which is why they give you the ability to turn it off. It's because if somebody links to your story and you approve the pingback, you know, if you have like automatic comment approval, and that pingback is to like a malware site or a ransomware site, I mean, that's one of the things they do is they put up links to people's blogs to get people to click on. Um, Basically, insert clickbait into your comment threads. So, right. Um, why well, I don't allow it because I don't want people clickbaiting I, me. Yeah, I have um, all of my comments are moderated, so any pingbacks I would see. But it's just it's something I don't usually I don't usually approve pingback comments. I do occasionally, but not usually. I turned pingbacks off when Live Journal was in its heyday because I was getting a lot of pings and it was really annoying, and so I just turned them off because it's just nah. Um, it just increases your comment burden moderation, and which I mean maybe that sounds which is exactly why <laughs> I turned off on Rough Trade because Rough Trade is a burden enough. <laughs> we don't need to add yeah, to we, it. We don't need ransomware links inadvertently getting out there on Rough Trade, so. There is a difference between character bashing and um, acknowledgement of their faults. Um, and I also think there's a big difference between making a canon character a bad guy with with reasonable um, motivations for their actions and character bashing. But I also acknowledge that yeah. it's awesome. Character bashing. 
I I love it. I really enjoy it, and um, I don't care if people don't like it. Um, I especially enjoy bashing Ron Weasley because I hate that character so much. I actually dislike the actor who plays him. And that's yeah, terrible. that's a that's difficult just one. That's just how well, I feel. You get it. It's not. I don't even get... feel that way about the actress who played Umbridge. I hate Umbridge, but the actress is pretty cute. She's funny as hell. She was great in Maleficent. Yeah, and I, I, I thought she she was charming in Much Ado About Nothing. So, um, yeah. the first time I rewatched Much Ado About Nothing and realized that Margaret was Dolores Umbridge, I was like, Oh my God, why does she look familiar? Oh, <gasps> Umbridge, what the fuck? <laughs> That's really familiar. <laughs> but no, I mean, but I just really don't like the the actor who plays Ron Weasley. I dislike the character so much that it actually tainted the actor for me. Yeah, if you get a twitch about, especially if that's the only context you know an actor in, um, is a context where you cannot stand the character. I mean, if you had seen... Um, I'm going to use a terrible example, folks, so just deal, all right? If the only thing you had ever, and the only thing he'd ever been in was the Lone Ranger, you might not like Johnny Depp. It might give you a twitch about him. Yeah. But because a lot of us have so much experience of Johnny Depp, we just didn't even watch the Lone Ranger and go, and we're just tried not to even pay attention to the trailers and the stuff be, uh, over his portrayal of Tonto. So and you're like, oh, dude, why'd you, you go there? Why? Yeah. Uh, but when you only know a character, look, actor we know you like role, a paycheck, but come on. Yeah, really. I, you know, the thing is, the actor who plays Lucius Malfoy, I saw Lucius him first in Jason Isaacs in. Um, Armageddon, which is which is one of my favorite awful disaster movies to watch when I'm in a I shitty mood. Um, I love to see that comet blowing, that asteroid blowing up. I, I'm mining an asteroid. This is such bad. It's such bad science, but it was such a good Fantastic. disaster movie, and I really enjoyed his role in that. So that was I actually didn't recognize him the first time I saw him in the Harry Potter movies. I went, he looks familiar. That guy looks familiar. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? And then I didn't put it together until the next time I saw Armageddon. I went, oh, that's so Spellboy. Holy fuck. So I had a positive association <laughs> to the actor before. Um, oh, seeing him the I, first time in The Patriot? No wonder. Oh, oh, his role in The Patriot makes you want to kill people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but so, I mean, it, it, you know, Rupert Grant, we only know him really from Harry Potter. And if you don't like Ron Weasley, which most of us don't, um, it can just it can color your whole perception of the actor, so I could see why you would have a, like a, a knee jerk reaction about him. Yeah. But I don't think of myself. I mean, I don't think of myself as a character bashing author. I don't think that that's mostly. I mean, every once in a while, I think I do cross that line, but it's pretty rare. I think mostly I'm and it's trying mostly to explore. About yeah, and mo- but mostly I'm trying to explore what a realistic consequence to things would be, and basically people don't like it if, you know, whether they're Tim or Ziva fans or Abby fans, they don't like it when um, when there's realistic consequences to a canon event. I'm sorry, too bad. It's not my problem that you don't like that. So... If you prefer canon, go watch the show. 
Yeah, why are you reading this? So, you know. Um, somebody wrote me or something like um, that I had. I had Abby, which, which story did I have Abby slap Tony in? Like full on slap him and cut him. Oh, that was in the journey. That was in the journey home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they wrote me that Abby wouldn't do that. She wouldn't slap somebody that way. <laughs> like, but she didn't can it. Really? That's your did you read this? Did case? you read the same shit we read? Did you read the Ever seen the show? <laughs> she wrecked and hit them. She was all slappy yeah, and shit. She, she hits people all the time. That's what she. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I could specifically recall that she slapped anybody across the face. I feel no, like I've but seen she that. Was very but, I, mean, I don't know that I could specifically recall, but she does punch people a lot. Um, I guess for them, that me having. Abby slapped him across the face and, you know, and I felt like that if she felt ignored um, and slighted the way she had in that story, I felt like that slapping is exactly what she would have done. I thought that was completely in character. I didn't feel like that was character bashing at all. Um, but maybe, I don't know, Jack threatening to kill her, I guess, was just way over the line. Like, whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I don't like care. Up, sweetheart. I don't like it. I rarely care when people don't like something. I, the only time I can think of that I care, the only time I can think of that I cared, um, is when I have unknowingly um, what I would call surrendered to fandom norms, fandom, some sort of weird fandom agreement reality about something. And um, and was writing something in a way that was not what I would that wasn't true to me even, but because I was trying to do it the fandom way, quote unquote. And that was way back at the beginning. Uh, and if somebody had said it in a, co- a kind of supportive comment, they just made a comment about the lack of female OCs and the sheer number of male OCs in the journey home. And they didn't say it. In, if they said it in an obnoxious way, I think I would have got my back up, but they didn't. They actually were kind of. I have had people make obnoxious comments about the number of male OCs in that story. And I took a long hard look at myself over that. Really interesting. And about I wrote a thing. whole blog post. I wrote a, we <laughs> yeah. did a show about it. Great blog post. Yeah, we did. Um. Uh, there's a. Uh, I wrote Hold My Coffee. And um, where I focus a lot on um, women um, in professional environments and, and how they deal and the crap they have to deal with with men. And um, one of my readers was like, you know, you know what brought it home to me? And I was like, what? And she said, when the waitress was female, too. And I didn't even realize I had done it, but I made both their chef and their their server in the restaurant female. And she said that, that that's what it brought it home to her, that she was so used to seeing males in all these different roles that it surprised her to see both a female chef and a female server in this really, really nice restaurant. Wow. And I was like, well, holy shit, look what I did. <laughs> I didn't even do it on purpose. I didn't even do it on purpose, but I I did consciously put women in a lot of different roles in that story. Um, 
but I was like, okay, yeah, because <laughs> it's true. I and so I was looking through my other stuff, and um, a lot of times tertiary roles that really served no purpose ended up being men, bartenders, waiters, cab drivers, and this needed to be my professional work too, not just my uh, fan fiction. Um, soldiers at checkpoints were 100% male every time. Um, it is really prevalent in Ties That Bind. Um, I was just... Excuse me. I'm not going to be doing all this ugly shit. I don't even think about it, but I put all these males in these various, you know, small roles, these OC roles, um, that serve no purpose, so their gender is completely unimportant. It doesn't matter that the owner of that club that John and Rodney went to while they were in Virginia is male or female, but I made them male. Whereas the manager of the hotel in Canada was female. But for the most part, like, roles that like I said, tertiary roles that really serve no purpose in my plot, they just have to be there because the person would be there, they most often end up being male. Yeah, I think once you decide that you're not going to buckle to this unspoken pressure not to have female OCs, um, it things just dramatically change. Um, I had I had to take a long hard look at myself and why I was doing what I was doing and look at where the origins of that came from, which is why I blogged about it because I did feel like it was a systemic thing and thing in fandom, um, and then I see people like, you know, just on OCs in general and female. I try not to use female OCs too much. People hate female OCs. Da, da, da. Well, so what? They're never going to get over it if people don't start using them in um, appropriate ways. Because yeah. Uh, the car- the female OC who who solves everything with a flip of her hair is annoying. I- I'll-, I'll grant you it's annoying, but that's just that's just it wouldn't be actually wouldn't be any better if it was a man. So let's just that's more the Mary Sue thing. Let's let's just if you don't like Mary Sue's, don't leave up Mary Sue's. But um, a-, a main character being female it shouldn't be off putting, ladies. I'm right? just saying. Um, right? And that's the thing that when we talk about this, you need to keep in mind is that in our sector of fandom, readers and writers of fan fiction, it is predominantly female. And I read a lot of male writers, I have some male readers, but my audience is primarily female. And whenever I've encountered terrible comments about female characters or het sex, it has come from women. And I, when I see, um, my first thought when I see somebody who doesn't want to see any women, a woman, a woman who doesn't want to see any women in the stories at all, I, I feel that's starting to edge into fetishization for me. I feel like there's some something creepy. Maybe there's not, but that's my feeling. That's what crosses my mind is that we have moved into full-on fetishization character. I mean, space where you can't tolerate heterosexuality existing in this gay world. Um, 
that's and it kind of bothers me. Uh, yeah, and it bothers me. So I and I realized I was bowing to this 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 pressure not to have women in stories. It was an unacknowledged thing, and in my own mind, that I had been surrendering to this since I first got into fandom. I I'd been indoctrinated into it, and I said I'm going to stop. I'm not going to stop writing the pairings I want to write, but if Tony has a female best friend, he has a female best friend. I mean, and, and I, I've kind of gotten to the point that unless there's a compelling reason for me to make an original character male, I'm only usually going to make them female now if they if they play a prominent role. Just because I, I it's like I feel like I have this taint on my writing <laughs> that um, I wasn't even aware of. So, like I said, normally I, I kind of went down that tangent because normally I said normally I don't care if people don't like something. But somebody made this comment about, you know, it, I don't even remember how it was phrased. It was something on AO3 about just kind of wishing there had been some more female characters in the story and that there was such a wealth of good original characters and it would have been nice if some of them were female. And that's why I sort of took a long, hard look at myself and decided I was going to do things differently. Um, and that there was, and there was no reason for it. There was literally no reason for it, except that I had been told that this is the way it is. You don't write um, a character with a speaking part who's not a waitress and make them female in fandom. I mean, that's basically what they said. Not literally in those words. Unless she was taking your order, if the character had lines, it was supposed to be male. I mean, that was kind of a vibe. And I'm like, I, I'm done with this. This is, <laughs> there's a, I'm done. I'm so done. I'm like a thousand percent done with this bullshit. Um, I don't know. It was just. So I like it that if you have that when the master of the craft, like being a chef at a five star restaurant in a, in a book is, is a woman and not a man. Um, it's subtle little details like that that we need to help break down this thing in our own minds. Um, it basically is a kind of internalized misogyny, and we have to stop it. But I didn't even recognize that I had done it, but I was in a really pro-female mindset when I was writing Hold My Coffee because I had to dig really deep to to figure out McKay's characterization because I did, just didn't want to write a male character with female genitalia. I wanted to write McKay as if she had always been a woman. Um, it was always there, and it flavored every bit of her life. And um, she wouldn't be the same character because men and women don't have the same experiences, especially women don't have the same experiences that a white male has. Now, I'm white, so I do have there, there. There is an inherent privilege to being white, but there is a, a little, at least in this country, and it's um, it's insidious. And I acknowledge that, and I acknowledge that I um, have opportunities in education merely for the fact that I am white. It's terrible. It's ugly. It's inappropriate. I um, wish we had a better society. I hope for a better society. I strive to educate myself and educate others around me when they say shit that um, is really stupid. I don't hold back. Um, But... The white male in America, and even in Canada, is an entirely different animal. And Rodney McKay being educated at um, Northwestern and 
Meredith McKay as a woman being educated at Northwestern is an entirely different animal. Yeah. And the thing is, so, I think sometimes I dug deep on that. I mean, but no, yeah. I was just like, I, was, was, I dug deep. So to get that in there, that, that whole mindset. If people don't understand, I mean, I've talked to some kids who didn't understand the con- like didn't understand like they didn't feel, feel privileged in their life. So they didn't understand the whole notion of white privilege. Um, as I tried to give them a little bit of a different perspective on it, it's like you feel like you can't understand it because you don't feel like you've been privileged in your life, um, because you're poor and you're you know you grew up very poor and you're a woman, so you don't feel like growing up a poor woman is, is a privilege, but you should be able to understand it from that side because there's privilege associated with different classes, the class, whether it's classism based upon wealth, um, whether it's, um, you know, privilege based upon gender, whether it's privilege based upon skin color. They all exist in this country. So you should be able to understand it because you look at men and you see men have privilege that women don't. You see that, you understand it because you don't have it. You grew up poor. You understand that even the middle class has privilege that the poor don't, that there are laws and things in place in this country that penalize the poor in ways they don't penalize anybody else. So you understand it from the side of the not having the privilege. So what you're doing is you're looking at it from, you know, you're a white woman. So you're looking at it you're saying, oh, I don't have any white privilege, except you do, because the only way you could possibly understand how much privilege you have would be to not be white. So you understand privilege from the not having it side. Just apply a little empathy, baby, and you'll understand your situation could have been worse because you could have been a poor black woman. With no health care. No education. You're twice as often to be punished in school because you're black and female. Um your education isn't taken as seriously because you're black and you're female. Um, you don't get um, the attention of teachers. And when you do, it's often negative because you're black and you're female. Especially um, if you're poor. I don't think they, and, they, and you're poor. So you're not even going to a school that's properly funded because you're living in a poor area. And poor areas don't get as much funding um, for education or streets or just anything in a city that a rich area gets. So you're, you know, like that kid in Oklahoma who's actually using a history book that Blake Shelton used. She's in the fourth grade. She got her um, her her history book assigned, and it hit the last been assigned to Blake Shelton, the country singer who's in his forties. That's just crazy, right? That is just crazy. But. It, it's not if there it can I mean it's basically I would say to anybody who doesn't understand the idea of white privilege if you're white is it can always you, you may have thought you didn't have privilege but believe me it can be worse it could have been worse it could have been worse because if you were to take all the areas where you don't feel privileged now and you make yourself Hispanic or black in this country. You would then understand how just how much worse it could have been. You do have some level of privilege. And here's a question that, you can ask somebody who thinks they don't have privilege as a white person. Say, so, okay, you get pulled over by a cop. What's your worst case scenario? 
Nine times out of ten, a white man or a white woman is going to say, I get a ticket. Even I would say that. That's my worst-case scenario. I get a ticket. I got pulled over a few months ago for speeding. Um, I, I got a ticket. My husband's not white. His worst-case scenario, if he gets pulled over, is he gets a bullet in the head. Yeah. Well, I mean, she comes from an area of the country that is a lot – it's predominantly white. Um, and poor – especially the poor people are treated very badly by the police. Um and it was not uncommon for women to be beaten by the police in traffic stops. Wow. So, wow. Um, we have those women in Texas who were being sexually assaulted um, yeah. on the side of so, the hallway by, by patrol. This is, a, this is one of those cases where uh, it doesn't take a lot to extend your own life experience to understand that privilege. Because when you're a woman, especially if, you're, especially if you're a woman, you have lived your life seeing male privilege in action. So you should be able to understand the concept of people having privilege who don't feel like they've had privilege. So, because a lot of men would tell you they haven't been privileged in life. If they're male, if they got a dick, pretty much they've had some degree of privilege. In maybe in different areas, but they've had privilege that women don't get. They get accepted for what they say that women don't get. Personal security as well. My husband would not hesitate to go to the store in the middle of the night. Meanwhile, I finished my shop. I, when I got to go shopping today, it was almost it was sunsetting. So I went to Publix first, um, and um, I got the things I wanted from Publix, and then I went to Kroger. Um, and I was really excited when I got to Kroger because there was a spot right up front for me to park. I was truly excited about this. I was like, "Yay! I get a I get a good safe parking spot." Safe, yeah. Because there's different. There's different kinds of privilege in this world. And your husband's biggest fear about being pulled over is, is he going to survive a pullover by a cop? And, you're, you know, if you go to the grocery store, are you going to not get attacked in the parking lot? And it's, it's completely different spheres, but you each have areas that you understand that the other doesn't have that intimate experience with. So Right. If you're a lady, a woman in this country, I don't care how difficult your circumstances were growing up. I don't care what it was. You understand the concept of privilege because you have had it from the unprivileged side. And it's a lot easier. Honestly, this is one of those things that's like it's easier to see lack of privilege. than It's easier to see where privilege exists when you don't have it. Okay? So you know what that looks like. You know what male privilege looks like. So you can just rest assured that even though you can't see the privileges applied to you as a white person, that the people on the other side of that fence who don't have it, they see and they know that it would be worse, your life would have been worse if you were in, had their skin color, whether it was brown, whatever, brown, black. In this country, also Native American, that would be a terrible um, I read a study about um, resumes and being called into interview, and women who had um, number one, um, men got called more than women, even if women were, were just as qualified as the men. Number two, if mm-hmm. a woman's name sounded ethnic, she didn't get called at all. Mm-hmm. And women so, who had androgynous names got called more, got called as more. as much as men did. Yeah, right. Um. I have been in situations where I have a very 
in reality, I have a very, re- I have a really, really white girl name. I, I do. It is just as epically white girl a name as it possibly could be. Um, not that the name I chose for fandom is much different, but <laughs> my real life name is, is is really is very white girl. Um, and um, I acknowledge that there have probably been instances where I have been in job for um that I've been in, in position to get a job um where I got called back because of my very white girl sounding name. Not fair. I'm sitting here I'm sitting here pondering if if mine is more likely white or not. Except I've known more women who were black who have my name in my life than white, but that could just be luck of the draw. Mine's not a super common name anyway. So I, I'm not sure that... No, I think no. people prob- probably guessed that it was white, but I don't know that people would make an assumption. I don't know. It's weird. It's one of those things. I have, I have Your sister's I have no name idea. is super white. But, oh, yes. Like, <laughs> hard, hardcore, hardcore hard, white. Hardcore. Yeah, well, basically, um, it might as well be Barbara. <laughs> my, my sister Barbara. and my cousins were all named out of the Bible. Uh, that's, pretty much, those are all those are all white names. <laughs> if your name's biblical, it's a at white least name. now they weren't originally. See, now um, it used to be, but it is now. Um, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, my sister has a very white girl name too. But I do think that that probably has in the past led me to get interviews for jobs where other women were just as qualified, um, did not get interviewed because their name didn't sound white. And that is a, that is a privilege. That is white privilege at its base. Yeah. So, I mean, Kira gets, so gets passed, you know, once she gets the call back for, she got passed the people who, um, had, had male sounding names. Probably mostly, you know, probably white male names especially, but definitely the male names were ahead of Kira's on the list. The reflexive reaction in this country is that she still is ahead of people who have names that don't sound white. And that's just the reality of this classist, racist foundation of this country. That's just, that's just the truth. And people can deny it all they want because they don't personally feel privileged. But when you're in the privileged seat, you're not in the position really to be that objective about your privilege. So you, it's really hard to deny it, you know? You have to, it, I mean, maybe you can't, I think I can be pretty objective, but my life would have been way, way, way worse. I mean, I did grow up poor in the South. <laughs> it would have been much worse if I wasn't white. So um, worse, worse, like worse, worse would have been to be an immigrant, and especially an illegal immigrant in this country, right? especially right now. So, um I'll give you a perfect example of white privilege. Me and this lady, this is about four years ago, she was African-American. I was, I'm white, very pale. Um, and, um, I mean, so pale, I practically glow in the dark, okay, <laughs> just to give you a reference. <laughs> Anyways, we're going through the exit at the same time. It's a, it's a double-doored exit, and we're just, like, I had a, two bags, and she had three, and we were just, you know, going at the same time. And the alarm went off. Guess who the employee grabbed? 
It wasn't me. Guess who actually set off the alarm? Me. You? Yeah. I had a movie. I had a movie. She had um, some fruit. This is at a Walmart. She had some fruit in a in a shirt. I had a Blu-ray or something like that. Um, and the greeter grabbed her, and I was like, "Whoa, dude! Whoa!" And he was like, "What?" I said, "Let her go." Number one. I have a movie, so it's probably me. And number two, don't put your hands on people. She's not running. You see her sprinting out of the parking lot? Yeah, what the hell, dude? His face was, uh, and she looked kind of floored like she was surprised that I came to her defense. And maybe she was really surprised. But I had a Blu-ray, and I don't know if he was. But yeah, but it it was me. Because... He was like, I said, no, really, it's me. And I swung my my bag through the monitor, and it went off again. And then he and then he and, let her go. And that's what you can do with your white privilege is is try to keep other people from being abused because they don't have the privilege that you have. Uh, it's, it's so. I have to tell you. So this is just anecdote, kind of a funny anecdote. Barbara says that um, we barbers are definitely older white women. It does sound that way. <laughs> I worked with this lady at this run company. Her name was Barbara. She was um, close to six feet tall. She's a black woman, close to six feet tall. And she had hair. I mean, her hair was epic, epic. And she was uh, she was all natural. <laughs> her name was Barbara. <laughs> I don't know what her parents were thinking, man. But you know what her what she insisted on being called? She and she Barbie? actually like Barbie. Yeah, and she actually. Barbie? Um, yeah, it was Barbie. She used Barbie as in her email. Her email didn't say, even though her name was you know, like Barbara, whatever, at such and such. It was she. She changed, you know, the the description her her description to Barbie, you know, like Barbie McMahon or whatever. Was so people would and we, this is an email driven company, so people didn't meet people in person all that often, and their reactions whenever she it, I got it, it just. Probably a ridiculous amount of joy <laughs> from the reaction. You know she did it on purpose when... just to fuck with people. Oh, I know exactly. I she, she told me she did it on purpose. Oh, yeah. So she just embraced that name. She's like, I'm going to be – she's like decided she's going to troll the fuck out of basically a bunch of white guys for the rest of her life <laughs> with that name. You go, girl. She's like, if my, my parents saddled me with this, and I am going to just own it and – you know, I was like, I, I mean, I was, this is one meeting. I said, we're waiting for Barbie to get here. And she walked in the door with all these old white guys. Just were like, I was like, oh, Barbie, are you ready to start the presentation? Because she was the presenter. Oh, I loved, <laughs> I, loved I, loved, I loved her so hard. She was so amazing. I love her, too. I want to have her babies. Um, but, yeah, so... Yeah, just, but you know, I I have noticed, um, and one, one thing I see on AO3, and people were kind of confused about whether or not it was um, being racist or not, is that they'll have a character of color. It's not being racist. It's it's highlighting that they have. It's not warning you. It's an advertisement. For, it's, hey, look, I did this. But more it's for people who want to read about characters of color. Because cause fandom's not all white. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it really isn't. <laughs> it really isn't. So there, it's a way for for readers who want to read about characters of color to find those um, stories on Ao3. Um, so it's it's not a bad tag. So when you see it, don't assume that. So when you're crafting your stories, pay attention to that. Um, pay attention to the gender of your characters, your um, um, your OCs, and your um, and the and the ethnic background of your characters. Like, does this character have to be white? Why is this character white? You know, especially when it comes to OCs, I, I am someone who tends to honor um, casting. Of, of, of movies and shows, and unless I'm doing something in the past and I need to back it up a little bit, you know, use a younger actor, I tend to use the same characteristics to, to match those actors. Um, but you, but your OCs make some interesting people. Just make some really interesting people. So that's our show for tonight. We're down to 29 seconds. You guys have a great evening, and we'll catch you later. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. <laughs>